Welcome back again, fantasy nerds. Today on the Inking Out Loud podcast, we're diving straight into Rhythm of War Part 2 by Brandon Sanderson. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And I refuse to spend any longer on my intro because we need to start talking about this book now. Like, now. Drew, (laughs) let's get that recap, dude. Okay, so uh, we kicked off with the first set of interludes where we have a Syl interlude where we see her very concerned for Kaladin and she goes to talk to Dalinar and the Stormfather trying to figure out what she can do to help him. Some very touching scenes there. But then we get an interlude from Shah Anat and we, we have some some very interesting insight into what's going on with her and her relationship with Odium, and she is making moves to undermine Odium, sending out decoys in places and and trying to keep her actions at least obscured, if not altogether hidden from Odium. And then we have a Teravangian interlude where he kind of makes makes some uh, final decisions about the diagram because he knows this is the end game he's getting activated he's uh he sends away everybody he can uh to protect them with instructions for how to run carbranth uh after the coming cataclysm and he burns the diagram so that's pretty pretty crazy and uh and then from there we head on into part two Shalon and Adeline and several other Knights Radiant, including Gadecki, the Edge Dancer, and the Stump, uh, head on into Shadesmar, where they journey aboard a ship at first, and then overland, where they run into Notum, the uh, the Honor Spren captain from Oathbringer, who has now been exiled and demoted because he he let Syl go when he had her under his control in the previous book. Uh, they are heading to lasting integrity, and on the way they they realize that there is a group of Tukari who attack Notum and the Reachers with him for some reason. They've they have them bound and they're like stabbing them over and over. But Adeline uh, pretty much single handedly fights them off, but not entirely single handedly. Maya helps him. She she is. Becoming more and more active, mimicking Adeline as he's doing his katas, and and she's riding a horse, and, and almost seems to be learning. But after they save Notum, they head the rest of the way to lasting integrity. They're confronted by some honor spran outside who tear up the letters he brought. They they're like, get out of here, you're you know, you're awful, you're criminal, and to convince them to let him in. Adeline offers himself up for the judgment of the honor spread. And along with Shalon and Pattern and Maya, they are escorted inside Lasting Integrity with Adeline in shackles. Uh, and then our other major plotline in this section revolves around Urithiru. We have points of view from Navani and Kaladin as they're settling into the new norm. Uh, Navani is continuing her... Uh, research with her ardents about new fabrials. She's getting messages, continued messages from the span read, and she tries to triangulate it. Uh, a, a new fabrial is created that can 
like a glove basically that can mimic gravitation in in certain ways um and the people she had investigating zeth's uh gem are all dead <laughs> it exploded when they tried to mess with it who saw with that Kaladin, coming <laughs> yeah, sorry i yeah. had to say that <laughs> <laughs> with kaladin he's uh he's settling in as a surgeon uh trying to help out these these men that he has sort of rescued from the care of the artists uh he's basically got a therapy group going for him and and he's making some headway of his own but before all of their uh their plans and 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 recoveries can come to uh, uh fruition the fused attack Urithiru. venli goes with Raboniel and some super creepy new fused called the deepest ones who can like meld into the ground and with their help Urithiru is taken Raboniel corrupts part of the pillar that reverses the tower's defenses it knocks all of the knights radiant into comas except for Adelin uh, excuse me Kaladin and <laughs> uh and Moash shows up. He's flown in uh, by some heavenly ones, and he activates the Oath Gate. Navani, in a last-ditch effort, sends troops to try to retake the pillar. While she discovers, it's been the sibling talking to her this whole time, mm-hmm. and the sibling uh, shows her a last-ditch effort defense. And when when Navani's troops are are slaughtered. She activates a shield around the the crystal pillar room at the heart of Urithiru that locks out Raboniel. And we are left with Navani surrendering the tower, surrendering the radiance, and Raboniel asking her, basically demanding that she study with her. She wants to hire Navani, essentially. And so in, in our final chapter of this part... The Fused and the Regals are out and about searching Urithiru for uh, the Radiance, the Unconscious Radiance, and they arrive to get Teft. Kaladin spills some blood in Liren's surgery and escapes with Teft and Syl, but not before his father calls him a monster and basically disowns him. So, we, we ended part two on a pretty down note for all of our main characters essentially we, we really did uh, yeah adeline is adeline's in chains he's he's got a, a real upward climb with the honor spren uh shalon is her personalities are all kinds of trouble right now she's shalon herself has basically been buried for for most of the last couple of weeks and it's been all veil and radiant and and Adeline can barely coax Shallan out. Um, Kaladin, obviously, not not in the best of shape. His uh, he can't summon Sill as a shard blade. He can't use most of his lashings. Uh, you know, and he's on the run in a completely occupied Urithiru. Yeah, and even take a look at what's happening with their spread. I mean, Sill is starting to suddenly change. She's starting to act a little differently. She started to. Uh say some really concerning things near the end. And even with Pattern and Shallan, their relationship, their their bond is being strained because Shallan is starting to suspect Pattern 
of all people, well, not of all people, but of all things, yeah. of entities. Wow. Is the spy. <clears throat> well, sorry, what yeah. was that? She thinks Pattern is the spy. She thinks Pattern is the spy. That's, yeah. well, we'll talk about that and, when we get to Shalon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have much but, written down for style today. Uh, I really only have one point. I have two, but one of which I can't really talk about until we get to our Cosmere-wide spoiler discussion later. And that one is going to be about the letter again. Yes. Epigraphs in part two. Dear Wanderer. Just, I wrote down right there. <laughs> right there. I was two words into this part. <laughs> two words. And I stopped to write a note. And I went, yes, 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 yes. With those two words, I'm so ready to swan dive right back into this book. But like I said, we'll, we'll save that for the, the spoiler discussion later. The only style point I want to really talk about here, though, at length, is about this chapter, Armor and Teeth. I mm -hmm. love that sequence. The fact that the, that the humans had the valor to charge a particularly superior force, both in strength and superior in numbers and superior in mystical power, and they died trying to succeed in that mission, I just chef's kiss that one right there i mean it's disturbing to watch but oh, i love yeah. the fact that we get to see this from venley's point of view and mm -hmm. we as readers are in every bit as much awe as venley is even raboniel is she's completely struck by this image raboniel whispers amazing to watch the yeah. humans fight and to sacrifice themselves freely and venley's thoughts here her internal dialogue is, is key she realizes that this must be what it is about humans that allows them to fight in the face of hopeless odds it's their training it's their discipline but more importantly it's their connection it's their coordination and their trust of one another i love mm -hmm. that sequence man yeah it's it's a pretty spectacular uh sequence there one of uh, one of the standouts in this book for me mm. no doubt about that uh just wonderful writing uh and and i i wanted to point out another sequence from this really it's just like one scene uh that stands out on on the writing level and that was as the everstorm is hitting and the singers infused are approaching the base of urethiru and it's this description of the flashes of red lightning painting uh. almost still images in venley's mind mm-hmm beautiful beautiful writing golden flash yeah. flash flash you know just oh i love that kind of stuff that that staccato that rhythm that he builds into it with this just extremely vivid imagery yeah this is the kind of stuff you know brandon sanderson i've said it before i will continue saying it he just keeps getting better and and man <laughs> he's got some some great pros in this book and that's not something i say very often about brandon sanderson mm. yeah so it's it's really something to read and it's something to to picture as it's happening it's really 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 fun mm -hmm. um that, i mean that is everything i have about style for me style is not at the forefront today i have some well lots about characters but an absolutely huge amount to talk about of course with <laughs> spoilers and with cosmere wide theories anything else about well, style that you've got yeah i do i have a couple okay. more points on Let's style uh so first off the the interludes mm -hmm. we have very interesting interlude points of view here we have for the first time ever spren points of view and not just one but multiple interludes 
from Spren points of view. I mean, this is a pretty this is a pretty big deal, you know, getting inside Sill's head and then getting inside a shot on Knott's head. The yeah, the, the implications of these, uh, you know, his willingness to go into Spren points of view, really, really cool. Um, and then, and then my other kind of style point is just the once again the narrative structure of this book. I pointed out how um, part one has a very different kind of structure to it than previous part ones, and part two is the same way. We have never had a part two that ends. Or, or even uh, includes such huge uh, plot moments. Part twos are generally like a, a pretty, you know, there, there's a, there's usually a, a good narrative wrap up moment at the end of his part twos, but they don't they don't shake the story. What are you talking this, about? Yeah. With part two in Words of Radiance, you have the one who hates when Zeth shows up. In part two of Oathbringer, you have the appearance of Odium, and Odium's one-on-one conversation yes. with Dalinar okay. for the first time. But but that's, like I said, that's like an, a part-ending, you know, wrap-up. Okay. But I mean, it, it does doesn't have again. this, like, narrative-spanning consequence. We knew the whole time Zeth was going to be attacking at some point, right? Yeah. We just and didn't it and here, we knew... Urithiru was going to get attacked in this book. That was pretty well set up in the first part. But we had no idea. It was just going to get full-on overrun. Urithiru's occupied now. The, the Fused won. Like, yeah. this is a totally narrative-changing, uh, uh, you know, plot point. It's He has never done anything like this in part two of another Stormlight Archive book. I mean... <laughs> This feels like the beginning of a Sanderson avalanche, and we are, you know, when when this starts, we're what a third of the way through the book. <laughs> the yeah. pace, you know, I, I talked about some of the pacing that I, I didn't love in part one. How how it it has this like bang of a start, but then it has a more of a denouement uh, because of the way Brandon specifically structured that. But here, man. Paces through the roof now. Lots and, is happening. And, and we sure. got three parts left. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get to those three parts. Oh, yeah. I cannot either. <laughs> right there after we finish here. Jumping straight into part oh. three so that we can record part three tomorrow. <laughs> yep. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, style? Yeah. More, more in style? No, that's that's my, my last style point. It was just about the, the pace and the structure okay. of part two. Okay. Uh, so jumping into characters now, the first character that I have to talk about actually this time is Adolin. I want to discuss Adolin because there's lots of excitement happening there in his plot line. We, I mean, first we have this chapter, the seething knot, you know, and it's it's tough reading from Adolin's point of view when he's fighting with Dalinar, when he's bickering mm-hmm. with his father. And I can admit, I used to find Adolin in this case a little frustrating, used to. You know, in Stormlight, particularly in the Way of Kings, on the occasion that he was standing up to his father. Um, but reading these exchanges now, I really feel for Adolin. You know, Dalinar reads to me like the obstinate one. He's just so insistent that Adolin be perfect, despite despite what he says. He'll he'll claim that's mm-hmm. not what he's trying to do, but it's really his actions that give him away. He claim he claims all that he wants is to is he claims that he understands Adolin wants to be his own man. Okay. 
but he gives himself away with this these this constant micromanaging of Adolin's morality, you know, in terms of how he wants his son to live. I found myself just as frustrated with Dalinar in this moment as Adolin was, you know, and it, it, it sucks that this was immediately as they were jumping into Shadesmar. This this you know, for mm -hmm. all you know, this could be the last exchange between these two. You know, it's a little it's a little bit of a bummer. It is, and and. I agree with you in that in the past, this sort of interaction, I would normally side more with Dalinar. Um, but I think this is a mark of Adeline's maturity, his his growing maturity. He's He has more adult reasons for why he has conflict with Dalinar now than he did in The Way of Kings, for instance, where his his conflicts were pretty adolescent, you know? You know, like, I want to have fun. I want to be able to drink. I want to, you know, have, you know, more relaxation time. I, I want blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, no, I want to be viewed as my own person. I want you to recognize the man I have become. I am not the image of a child that you have in your head anymore they're they're they feel real you know these these are real issues that are affecting the relationship he has with his father whereas when he wanted to you know have a a stronger glass of wine you know that's just that's a teenager being a teenager you know mm. so I, I and, and, and and it carries forward i mean it, obviously it's it, it really comes to a head in this one conversation, but Adeline is still struggling with this as he's in Shadesmar. You know, kind of trying to come to a realization of what exactly is wrong with his relationship with his father. And he does he does come to some good conclusions on it. Yeah. You know. I do like that he's introspective about it. He's not just completely <laughs> dismissing Dalinar. And and while we're on the subject still of this scene in the chapter called The Seething Knot um, I, I there was a this is a this is actually a point that I had originally included in my theory crafting segment, but I just realized how insanely obscenely I should say long that was getting, and so I moved this actually into my Adolin discussion here. Um, th I think this the chapter title here, the seething knot. I think it's a little more than being simply metaphorical. I've postulated very publicly at this point that I think Adolin's actions in murdering Sadius were a corruption or influence of odium. And I, I thought that at the time I postulated it could even be due to the fresh loss of his bond with Sureblood that kind of opened his soul up, so to speak, and allow odium to influence him to take that place. And I think this is a tiny bit more evidence of that, if you want to call it so. He seems at times here to have particularly vicious thoughts about Dalinar, and he seems to outright hate his father at moments. And I found it a little ironic that I was considering this right as he and Dalinar were bickering beside Gallant. Gallant was also there. And it's just so strange to me when I take that step back and consider that none of the Spren yet have chosen the man who, honestly, in my opinion, is the best, the kindest, the most sincere, the most earnest of all of our point of view characters. Uh, but then again, maybe maybe Adolin just doesn't have a cracked soul, so to speak. It just that occurred to me while I was preparing my notes for today. But 
I, I still, I doubt anybody deserves a Nahel bond more than Adolin Colin. Everything here seems a little fishy. I get that he's, he's trying to uh, establish uh, distinction. He's trying to show his father that he is not a child anymore, and he does have some very, very valid concerns. I don't want to say for a second he doesn't, but something just feels off, and I'm still suspecting that Odium is somewhat influencing Adolin at this point, and that could be why. <laughs> Could be why he's not getting a bond yet. Uh, I I think that's um, a, a logical line of reasoning. Mm. Um, okay. I I'm not going to say I agree with it because I sure. I don't. At, at one point, I I kind of dabbled in the idea of oh maybe Adeline is being set up to be Odium's champion because of this you know hot blooded murder of Sadius. But I've I've cooled on that theory uh, since I've I've been you know pretty pretty solidly on the Moash train since yeah. Oathbringer you know or or even um, like not that he's need that he needs to necessarily be Odium's champion but just that Odium is trying to deny the Knights Radiant perhaps one more member he's trying to get his fingers and as many souls as possible that's what I'm so thinking. I I still think the reason he's not is is because of Maya well yeah that's that I mean I that's yeah. pr- that's Far more likely, absolutely. I'll agree <laughs> yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's um, it's also we've heard words of Brandon. It's possible for a single radiant to have two bonds, right? It is. It is. So, I wouldn't say but that his bond. I don't know about a dead eye. Maya necessarily yeah. eliminates the possibility of him. It's it's certainly not impossible yeah, for a friend to be attracted to somebody with a a dead eye blade bonded to them because obviously the Stormfather began bonding Dalinar while he had Oathbringer, but. I also think yep. the Stormfather and Daldar is a little bit of a special case. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit of a special case. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd agree. Um, <laughs> Understatement of the millennia. Yeah, but millennia. but millennia. sticking with Adeline, I I wanted to talk about just what a what a great husband he is, dude. Like, right. I, another one of my favorite scenes in this book, and and I very well may. Included in my favorite scenes when we get to the end of the book. We'll we'll see. Um, but when he takes Shalon on their little mini date up to see the Star Spren. Yep. Wonderful. Like first mm. off, what a what a guy. I mean, what what a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's dreamy, man. Even to me, he's he's just a, a spectacular husband. You know, he's he's <laughs> there for her. He he knows how to get through to her. He he wants to support her. He's he communicates with her like which is the number one thing. Like the, you see relationships fall apart at its root. It's because of lack of communication. Adeline is not letting that happen. He may think, oh, I'm terrible with relationships. Oh man, you're you're killing it with Shalon here. Like, <laughs> yeah. who could she have that is better than Adeline Colin? Really? Yeah, yeah. It's and and then that's another scene, you know. Brilliant writing on Brandon's part. The description, setting that scene with the the, the way he the brought her out vista there. over the bead ocean, and then the star spren yeah. breaking through the cloud, and just oh, and not not gorgeous. physically bringing her up there, but actually bringing Shalon out, you know, yeah. into the open, and actually being it, just knowing her well enough that all he's got to do is present her with something that she would find fascinating as star spren. To have that moment, yeah. he knows her well enough. You know, it's it's really uh, it, it's heartwarming, and I'm every bit 
<laughs> I'm every bit as enamored with Adolin as Shallan is with his over his treatment of Maya and his stubborn refusal to treat Maya like a tool, even to the bewilderment of other intelligent Spren. No, mm -hmm. Seeing the dead eye slowly start to overcome her condition, such as it is, it's it's again I'll use the word it's heart it's wholesome. That's what I want to say. It's so wholesome. The way she starts to act of her own accord, she being Maya, you know, first staying near him inexplicably, despite having plenty of spare room, you know, mm -hmm. and then with her trying to figure out menial tasks like brushing Gallant. And then we have the other step of leaping to his aid in battle and fighting back-to-back <laughs> -back with him. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't wait to see where this relationship is going. It, all, it feels like it's more than a simple nail bond. Like, she could be a sibling or a child of his. It's, there's something so special there, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, definitely. I know, I know a lot of people are uh, uh, vocal about how they don't want Adeline to become a Radiant. They want him to be something else and you know there that's a, a really valid wish especially as we see the way uh maya is progressing in in the early part of this book um uh yeah and and i will also say this there are there are a surprising number of people out there who who seem to have this love-hate relationship with Adeline where they just like absolutely love Adeline to a point where it's like they start hating everything about Adeline because it's not good enough um if there 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 are a few shall we say infamous members of the Sanderson community who've uh been very vocal in their dislike of how little importance Adeline seems to have and they they better these people better recognize what a special treat we're getting with him in this book because it is it is special yeah i am though i will say there's one little thing that concerns me besides what i was just talking about with um my fear that odium has his fingers in Adeline's soul a little bit actually you know what this kind of ties a little bit into there uh, there's there's when they're meeting Outside of lasting integrity, they're meeting the honor sprint for the first time. Adolin has this moment where he just kind of snaps at them. And I wrote down the quote here, word for word. When he spoke, it was with the same brashness, but the same sense of instinctive rightness that led him to attack Sadius. Mm -hmm. So I wrote down just, why you gotta do him like this, Odium? Hmm. I don't know. See, I don't, I don't see anything hateful about the way he... He reacted to the honor spren. Oh, I thought you meant to the way he killed Sadius. I was like, dude, that was one hundred percent. Oh well, yeah, passion. obviously, obviously yeah. with with Sadius, oh. but but I I don't I don't see a, a similarity. A, right, it's just a, the way there. he he likened this moment to his decision to kill Sadius. Hmm. You know, he hmm. specifically thought about that moment in this moment and how it felt exactly the same. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, do you have that's everything I have about Adolin, though. Okay. All right. Uh, who do you want to move on to? I have Kaladin next in my list. Not much, sure. honestly, to talk about yeah. with Kaladin. I, I, I admit, I don't have much to talk uh, about Kaladin either in this part. Um, and most of what I do is is really about Liren. Yeah, same. Two-thirds of my relationship. And, and my gosh, I cannot stand Liren in these mm. chapters. He mm -hmm. is... 
Mm. <laughs> he's so, so stubborn. He's so... <sighs> uh, well, shit. I'm 100% with Kaladin for pretty much everything we see him doing. Right? Like, up to and including acting subservient to the occupying force. And then his decision... Then his decision to start fighting back. I feel like, Liren, he's allowed to make this choice for himself because he honestly gave peace a chance. The fight with the Regal... That was a Regal, right? That wasn't one of the fused. It was a Regal in the surgery room? Uh, yes, it was a Regal. Yeah. I love... Like... I thought that was cool. I, I loved the badass entrance, Kaladin's quick thinking to get his father out of harm's way. Most of all, what I really respected here, though, was his undying loyalty to Teft. But f*** Liren. <laughs> yeah. I hate this guy. The way he just throws accusation after accusation, hasty generalization after hasty oh, generalization yeah. at Kaladin. I just, I wanted to slap the sh out of that old fool, and I'm not normally a particularly violent person, and, and, and not to offend anyone with converse sensibilities, but I, this, to me, it almost reads like a fanatically religious parent screaming at their child for choosing to think for themselves. You know, collapsing and weeping over his child being a monster. Just get over it. I thought I was going to like Liren when I saw that he was going to be a point-of-view yeah. character in this book. So far, not at all. I really hate so, the guy right now. Yeah, so he in these chapters really reminds me of some of the issues I have with the Tuatha on and the Wheel of Time. Oh yeah, okay. Like yep. like he's he's a full on way of the leaf, you know, at this point. And and it, he he just his unwillingness to accept the reality of apocalyptic war <laughs> you know yeah. like like this isn't just some you know like petty high princes fighting over a border anymore this isn't even a revenge war for the death you know the assassination of a king this is a supernatural war and they are pawns being driven by what are essentially gods and <laughs> And his Fighting for the unwillingness, of yeah, his unwillingness to let that get through his head is very frustrating. And then when he takes it out on Kaladin, that just brings it to another level. So absolutely agreed. You know, and like I imagine we're going to find out somewhere along the line that Liren has a reason to hate violence, and I imagine. I'll end up having ample reason to sympathize with him in later rereads. Years from now when I'm going back and rereading this and I have more context. I'll have, maybe I'll, I mean, I'll be having ample reason to, but I'm not, still not promising that I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, but it, it is still, for the most part, until we get to the end there, it's still a little easier to read Kaladin in this part. He clearly feels a little impotent, but it's it's rewarding to see him find his place again as a surgeon, if for nothing else just the stability and the peace of mind when, mm -hmm. when helping others that he gets. It, I also thought it, it was a brilliant, brilliant move to have Kaladin Stormblessed like, decide to start the mental health revolution on Roshar, if that's how you want to put it. I thought it was appropriate. It was unexpected, even though it was appropriate, so I like it for that reason as well. And I appreciate yeah. that we do have Teft you know, tagging along, who just wants so badly to help. It's all wonderful. And, and 
though is there's really no action out of Kaladin for the vast majority of part two until the end, it's still an easier read than what's been happening to him previously. You know, I think Kaladin's in a much better place for most of this. Although I'm I'm really terrified to see where he's going because I mean the pursuer is looking for him and the pursuer is not interested in a fair fight. And if that's not enough, what the hell is going on with Syl? Right before the end here. Like, still, of all people losing hope, she starts to suggest giving up. Or, or maybe just like Kaladin, in fact, can't save them. That, it right there, that is the most horrifying thing that I've read so far. That is creepier than the mysterious spren that's threatening Navani until we find out who it is. That's more intimidating than all of the fuse combined. Silfrena losing hope. That is just wrong. And I worry. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's some pretty. Yeah, it's it's getting dark. This book is getting dark. Mm. Oh, it started dark. It's it's getting pitch black, man. It's hard to hard to have hope. But that wraps up everything I have to say about Kaladin. I'm ready to talk about Shalon. Anything else about Kaladin you want to discuss? Um, no. I think that was everything I had for this part, at least. Yeah, for this part, at least. Okay, Shalon. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, the central mystery of the book continues with Shallan's point of view here. You know, who is the imposter? She spends a lot of time poking around trying to see who's sus. And then she comes up with her two methods of, well, okay, I'd say Vale comes up with these two methods of rooting out the culprit. And my first thought was, huh. So this is clearly going to be a tool to mislead us. You know, I think it was an authorial tool to mislead us. The suggestion of the time proven concept that is of like you know leaking different information to different people to see what comes out right mm-hmm. i but i just don't find myself very inve- like invested in these early book mysteries for the most part i was really into the whole who is messaging navani because that was really really creepy um it, but you know something i wrote down during a shallan chapter in this part was not very interested in shallan's mystery it's just another who done it and I already know Brandon well enough that I doubt it's going to be as simple as finding the best fit, or finding the only fit, or even if there's a spy at all, it could just be a total diversion. You know? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I I was invested in this mystery the first time I read it. I'm invested okay. in it again, uh, because knowing how it plays out, of course, I'm going back through and having a lot of fun digging up the the clues. And so yeah, I I have been enjoying reading back through and, and digging up the clues and you know and, and piecing piecing the puzzle together, you know, the kind of thing that you do when you reread Mistborn or or, you know just yeah, any of those Brandon Sanderson books that have a, a, a real real mystery at it at its core. Um and and yeah. I will say I this is like around the most frustrated I've ever been with Shalon though as a character. Uh the I don't particularly like Vale. Uh I I I was okay with her in Words of Radiance and she started to bother me a little bit in Oathbringer but here I I do not like her. Uh I don't like what she does to Adeline. I don't like how she treats that relationship. I don't... I don't like the way she treats Shalon herself. 
Um, you know, and, and of course we're getting into some like weird <laughs> metaphysical conceptual stuff when, when I speak of them as separate people because they are, of course, the same person. Uh, but it's it, it's not something that I really enjoy reading when we're in Vale's head. And I and I, like I said in our Oathbringer episodes, Radiant is kind of meh to me. I don't have strong feelings either way on her. She seems pretty bland. And so Shalon is the character I like. And we are getting very little Shalon in this part. And, and that's frustrating. I'm kind of the opposite there. You know, I I kind of like uh, Radiant, or Radiant Vale, and I kind of like Radiant as well. And th the fact that Shalon is constantly, constantly retreating and forcing the other two to go forward because she is too fragile to simply exist at this point, constantly, is why I hate Shalon, but I'm okay with the other two for now. Huh. I think I'm, like, dramatically Interesting. opposite. Yeah, in, that is in, in that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I do like that that Shalon still checks up on her squires when she's investigating. Mm -hmm. You know, again, who done it? You know, she seems to legitimately care. I particularly adored one description of Ishna, and I forget who it was that was that that was controlling Shalon. I think it might have actually been Shalon at the time. I'm not certain of that though. But uh, internally, she describes Ishna as old enough to be seen as an adult, young enough. Not to believe it yet. There's something about yeah. that line that just really rung. I really, really liked it. Maybe that could have gone uh, for an aesthetic point. I could have brought that up during style, but you know, there's not really much to say uh, about it besides, "Ha, huh, that's a, that's a nice, that's a neat little way to put it." You know. Yeah, that, it is, and I think that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of young adults mm. today. Absolutely, a lot of people in the millennial generation. Uh, <laughs> Yep. And and even younger, you know. Yeah. But there is something, you know, like, with the way the world has evolved, where, you know, you, you reach a certain age and you are expected to be an adult, but you don't necessarily feel like an adult. Yeah, you're and expected you to just like, transform overnight. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is how all the adults feel? Really? They're just like... Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a pretty... Um, it's a pretty notoriously millennial mindset. You know, there's so mm. many, so many jokes and tweets and memes and you know <laughs> uh, yeah, about that kind of a, a phenomenon that that sort of imposter syndrome. Mm. You know that that a lot of people feel. So yeah, and and I'll admit, and, I I even feel I'm 30 years old and and absolutely like I'm married. I I have my own condo. I have a Career, I I am for all intents and purposes a, a full on functioning adult, and there are still times when it kind of strikes me, and I'm like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> you know, like yeah. I I can't believe I have to deal with all of this stuff. Yeah, I want I, mean, I want to go back old, to when I was my parents. a <laughs> freshman in college, where where the <laughs> most you know the most important you know uh, worry I had was was balancing my my part-time job and making it to class on time. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty prescient, um, thing that Brandon wrote into his book and, and he knows his audience. He knows that that's going to resonate with a lot of his readers. Hmm. So, yeah, well done. Um, let's talk about the mystery itself real quick. You know what I think is going on with the mystery here. 
you know, Shalon has this communication. Yeah, she has this okay. communication with Marais, and he makes care to mention the glory spread. And I'm already looking for a trap at this point. Like, literally all that Marais had to do, or perhaps if I want to get meta with this, all that Brandon had to do, um, or all that he did, not had to do, what am I saying? All that they did in this moment was reaffirm, reassure me that Beryl is innocent. There is just <laughs> no way it is this easy. I am so paranoid that, like, at, at this point, so careful for clues that I'm starting not to trust obvious giveaways. You know, for all of two minutes, I actually started to entertain the notion that maybe Beryl was guilty of being the spy, simply because Brandon would know his astute readers well enough that he could make a lot of them dismiss the threat immediately just by pointing the right finger so early on. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? But, I mean, either way, no no part of me believes for a second that Marais would give up his spy by a simple slip of the tongue. No way. He wants Shallan to focus on Beryl, and so I dismiss Beryl for now. What about Pattern, though? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Give me a break, dude. I, be I would believe that Dalinar Colin is a closet cross-dresser before I believe that <laughs> nail-bonded Spren are capable of betraying their knight. My best guess, honestly, you want my prediction? Okay. Having just finished part two, I haven't even done the, the interludes yet, uh, going into part three, my best bet right now is that Formless is the spy. And that Formless is actually emerging, and Shallan just has no memory of it. Okay. I will, I will say that when I read these chapters, when I got that first you know moment of realization for... Uh, the three where you know she's like oh it's pattern um i i also rebelled at that idea i was like there's no way you know they like i was like <laughs> i don't no want that to be the case i like pattern you know so yeah. oh my i love pattern and like i mean let's, real quick i mean again this is kind of a style point but it's literally two sentences i have here about humor i just i laughed pretty hard at a couple points here you know veils Obvious influence on Shallan's sketching made me laugh. There was that one sketch at the bottom of the page of the sketch on the cryptics with the cryptic running. I, I cracked up a bit at that. And this moment uh -huh. where Shallan and Adolin are busy making out and Pattern just moves right in for the hug and he's just like, mm, I love <laughs> having arms or something like that. I love that. I just He's so socially clueless and he's so endearing for it. He's just trying. I, I did get a crack out of the one scene on the ship where she's sketching and all of the cryptics are like crowding in around her and she's like, can you back up a step? And they all back up exactly one step and then le just lean yeah, further lean in. Farther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pattern oh. isn't quite, uh, he's not, he's not, he's not that unique. You know, they all share yeah. a whole bunch of curiosities and a whole bunch of quirks. And I do love that they just call each other Pattern, Pattern, Pattern. And he's like, well, that's what all of our names are. Yeah. yeah, she's like, "Can you can you please fix that?" <laughs> yeah, that is very confusing. Yeah. He's like, "It's not confusing. They're all different patterns." <laughs> like, <laughs> just clueless. Uh, I love him. That's, that's yeah. everything I have to say for now about Shalon. I'm not going to well, bitch well, anymore about how much I, I, hate I do Shallan want to bring up uh, an interesting point since we're talking about cryptics. The yep. Dead Eye cryptic that the uh, oh that. Um, what was it? A was it a peak spren or an ash spren? I don't remember. Who was like? Who was very insistent that this is a this is not a recreance dead eye. This is a new dead eye. Yeah, 
I can't remember what kind of sprint it was at that moment either. That was yeah. one of my but, <clears throat> falling asleep moments. But yeah, I I remember I read that for the first time and I was like, huh, that's bad news for Adeline. Like, yep. That's I mean he's he's here to convince the honor spren that you know oh that's all thousands of years in the past humans are different now you know we're having successful bonds and meanwhile he just like left a town you know a couple days back where there was a new dead eye <laughs> like yeah <laughs> it's not all in the past that could that's something that could come back and bite mm-hmm. him in his ass i think you know and with a whole trial going forward i don't even know what to expect with that mm. yeah yeah i mean and you're not going to get some answers. Uh, so if if you've um, you know looked up Brandon Sanderson's at least for a while, uh, not in part three, because if you if you looked up Brandon Sanderson's you know Rhythm of War updates on Reddit, he laid out the structure of this book and it included point of view character groups, and the group with Shalon and Adeline does not get points of view in part three. So, damn, yeah. I'm a little bummed now. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I, I prefer knowing it going into it. Now that I can expect it, I can brace for it. Okay. Um, Navani? Should we discuss Navani? Yeah. Uh, once again, I don't have much to say on her because a lot of what's going on in this part, I've already said in the first part. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, where she just doesn't recognize or, or is incapable of recognizing what a scholar she is. I mean, you even have Rabonia, which she's got Navani in in custody and she's flipping through Navani's notebooks and she makes this comment she's like is it typical for queens where you're from to be engineers and and Navani's like I have some strange hobbies sure but like she views it as hobbies she doesn't see it as her identity she doesn't want to admit to herself that she is a scholar that she is an engineer And, and it's it is certainly an ongoing character arc for her, so I'll say that. I can't wait for her to actually accept that part of herself. You know, it, 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 immediately after starting part two, which was earlier this morning, it occurred to me... Well, you know, actually, I'll give it a little more context. I'll back up one second. I stopped. As soon as I started, I was, like, not even a page in, and I had the thought that really made me go, Oh, my God, I am so stupid. I opened my note-taking app, and I wrote down... This is totally the sibling messaging her, isn't it? I even texted you this morning. Yeah. Like, oh my god, how did I how did I miss this? Uh, why is it just occurring to me now? You and know, then, like and, five minutes later, you read the reveal. Yeah, and yeah. Fu- well, it was like yeah, it was. I think it was like a half hour later. I read the reveal and I texted you. I was like, oh my god, I knew it. 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 Why is it? Why <laughs> didn't uh, you guys were so you were steering me towards it so much last night, and I would just danced around it i never quite approached it i was just like yeah obviously it's a spren it's a spren who's invested in in caring about the other spren and the pain and the imprisonment of other spren why didn't it occur to me that it was the sibling until like a chapter not even a chapter before the reveal like pages before the reveal i was like oh my god you know so enter stage left the sibling hello you sleepy bastard yeah yeah oh and oh finding out that dabbit was acting all sus. When we first thought it was Dabit, I was like, what? The? Oh, okay. Well, um, that's a little unexpected. But sure enough, he's just communicating with the Spren, and it is the sibling after all. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. But we learn a couple of interesting things from the sibling. Well, Navani learns them. Namely, that color to Spren is almost like flavor. Yes. Mm. 
So we do have color making its way to the magic system on Roshar, which I guess it's not really surprising in hindsight, all things considered. I mean, we have High Storms and Shadesmar that are just a giant ripples of color in the sky. We already knew that Stormlight itself really just has one pale white color, and it's just the gem housing that actually gives it its its actual color. You know, between sapphire, emerald, rubies, does diamonds. It? I'm assuming it does. It's just the color of the gem, isn't it? Stormlight itself is just pale white. Mm. Ooh, I don't like that tone you've got there, man. I think I'm 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 probably sounding stupid to somebody with the with the context. Okay, I feel All right. like I feel like we've gotten descriptions of Stormlight looking a little blue when when it's being breathed out of you know a radiant. Okay, and... yeah, but it's mm, yeah. Okay, well, because I mean, still herself is like kind of and pale white I'd blue, uh, right? I'd also like to point out that we have a pretty big reveal in this about another kind of light. Wait, what? Rabonia is talking trying... about the pillar. When she's trying to transform the pillar, the pillar starts glowing with a light specifically described as white with a blue-green tinge. Oh. And yeah, she yeah, says yeah. it is the sibling's light, that the sibling is of honor and cultivation, and it has mm -hmm. its own light, and Stormlight by itself could not charge that pillar. Oh, that's a detail that I missed. I figured it was just a combination of... of I mean, it, well, obviously, it is a combination of honor and cultivation and the fact that the sibling is their child. But I still thought it would have been Stormlight. I didn't actually make that extra logical Yeah, she connection. specifically says... Good call. Not Stormlight. And then when Stormlight starts flowing into the pillar because of what uh, Navani did in infusing the Fabriel, Raboniel's like, what the heck? Why is there Stormlight involved in this? There shouldn't be Stormlight here. She's like, it, it wouldn't be Stormlight. Stormlight can't make this work. Oh. She, and then she convinces herself, she's like, oh, maybe it's just from the later Fabrials that were added, like the lifts or pumps or something like that. Those could use Stormlight. Yeah, I remember that line. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Hmm. And there's also another thing, one more thing that we learned. We get these words. Honor's truest surge. Yeah. Surge of binding and oaths. Adhesion. That's adhesion. That's honor's truest surge, or at least what uh, the sibling would call honor's truest surge would just simply be adhesion. Yeah, yeah. We we have multiple multiple discussions around it in this part. We have one when when Venli is with the fused heading you know through the mountains and and she's asking about like why are there only nine types of nine brands of fused. Yeah, when there that. are ten surges, and and there's like, oh well, there's no fused for adhesion, because that is you know, I, the the surge closest to honor. That's honor's own surge, and then oh, the really? fused are kind of like, oh well, that's just a story, you know. And then later on, we see straight out, and it's the only surge that Kaladin can use while the Fabriel is diminishing everything else. I noticed that. Mm -hmm. I noticed that. But I don't... Okay, I, I must have completely missed the, the detail that we actually got a reason... Or we got... Um, we knew we found out which of the surges it was. I remember this conversation between Venli and Raboniel. And I remember Raboniel, uh, or like, them talking about the missing surge. I just... I was... I was expecting it to be a different surge entirely. I don't, I don't, I don't remember this little detail that we actually found out. It was adhesion. Yeah. So that, I mean, that makes sense to have mm -hmm. honor's truest surge referred to at this point, and to have that be the only one that's currently working inside yeah. the tower. 
Okay. Yep. I mean, you just, yeah, I guess I kind of, you just put those two pieces together for me. That's interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's everything yeah. I have about Navani, even though we really haven't talked much about Navani herself as a character. Uh, we just, you, you, you talked briefly about, um, and I agreed with the sentiment that I really, I really can't wait for her to actually accept how clever and how special she is. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. But that's everything I have to say about Navani for now. And do you have any other character really, notes? Because I, I just really quickly, not. very briefly, want to abuse Moash before we go into our Cosmere Wide spoiler uh, discussion. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I've been pretty vocal, obviously, <laughs> as have a lot of people, um, about my agreement with the whole fuck Moash thing that's been going around for a, for years now. But in this book, my god, I absolutely loathe... I don't even want to say I loathe the guy. That's not strong enough. He's he's pure evil at this point. And though I hated every cell in his body, up until now, I still held out hope that his redemption arc was just going to be all... eventually be all the sweeter for it. And I, I no longer have that hope anymore. I don't want him redeemed. I used to think, oh, the the the, the deeper he goes, the more glorious his rise is going to be. I don't think that anymore. I to see him first try and convince Kaladin to kill himself, then to learn that he's there at Yurthiru, opening portals for the invading armies. I was just, damn. Will someone just kill this man already? Kill him and piss on his corpse. I am done <laughs> with this guy. Yeah, uh, I, I will say, as a, uh, as an admin, as a moderator for multiple online Brandon Sanderson Cosmere focused forums, I am so tired of the Moash did nothing wrong posts, uh. and this book will finally put an end to that. Like I, well, no, I'm sorry. Say, like well, you, you can no longer, now. you can no longer defend Moash after he goes down. I we didn't talk about this last week, but after he goes down into the basement, murders Roshone in cold blood, and then tries to convince Kaladin to commit suicide. You can no longer stand on any sort of ground to say Moash did nothing wrong, and I mean to be honest, you couldn't stand on that ground. After Oathbringer, either. I mean, there's just no getting around that. He, he again, yep. murdered two people in cold blood in that book, including one guy who was literally an insane beggar, as far as Who's he's concerned. Other? Oh, Elokar. Elokar and Yezrian, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but, well, I knew about it, Yezrian. But, but <laughs> in this book, it, it is so clear. It is so clear. Moash is just... The, the, you cannot defend this guy anymore. You cannot defend this guy. I, I don't care yeah, what he says. Oh, Kaladin is still my friend. No, you don't convince your friends to commit suicide or try to convince them to commit suicide. And it's so weird that he's he tries to justify it to himself. And we got like he's he's trying to he's clearly trying to tell himself that this is for Kaladin's own good. Yeah, you know? and and that's why um, you know that's why Moash is such a terrible person because he refuses to take responsibility for his actions and he endlessly tries to justify them and his justifications get flimsier and flimsier and flimsier yeah and if i and, if i just made uh, go ahead as i say I and then just really ultimately he, uh he he tries to completely divest himself of any personal responsibility and says no no this isn't me i i i gave all my pain all my responsibility to odium 
Mm. No. No, no, this guy is like, oh my god. If, if I may quickly just be the devil's advocate, though, I think what these people, these these endless Moash apologists... Oh, well, most of them are trolls, say, but yeah. <laughs> I think what most of them are going to say to, to rebut that, even though I agree with everything you just said, I think they're going to be like, well, he did nothing wrong. This is past tense. We're not saying anything about the present. He's not doing nothing wrong. He's he's a scumbag. I, I no. After Words of Radiance, I was hoping for a redemption arc, but he was a bad guy and he did everything wrong. And after Oathbringer, I I was oh my god, his murder of Elokar while he was holding his son, while he was in the middle of speaking the first ideal, that is purely unforgivable. And just like this is just more of it in this book. It's just it's just putting more and more. Um, dirt on his coffin even though there's not really any dirt <laughs> yeah, yeah. on this planet you know i just well, in not, shinovar. <laughs> yeah there is on, on shinovar <laughs> although there's a you know, we'll talk about that later um okay cosmere theories spoiler discussion are we gonna take the gloves off uh yeah let's do it okay so we're gonna discuss anything and everything brandon sanderson cosmere up to and including words of words of radiance listen to me uh rhythm of war the part end two. of not gonna part discuss two. part three four five but let's let's craft some theories, okay? I have a lot. I have a lot to go I'm, through. I'm I'm gonna sit here and just. I have a couple of small points, but mostly I'm gonna just give you you know yep. free reign here. I figured. Okay, so let's start with the Ja not interlude. Apparently, she really cares for her children, as she calls them, and even more the spren that she sent to investigate options or however she phrased it with Marais has her blessing, but she makes time. To tell this spren, or no, sorry, the, the spren actually makes time to tell Ja Anat, thank you for my eyes. That's the last thing that spren said to her before he left. She mm-hmm. left. I don't remember what, what kind of, what uh, the gender of that spren was. So, since she can transform spren, and I use the capital T, so it's the surge, uh, at least that's how she thinks of it when we're inside her head, can she perhaps revive dead eyes? This is my prediction. Ja Anat will be revealed to be one of the unmade who was once human and she was at that time a very caring and loving mother who lost her children i use lost with air quotes when odium unmade her and because odium can't completely unmake something as profound as the love of a mother she's not applying that sentiment to her uh transformed spren like this like, you know odium and that's why she has the semblance of free will and she has the determination to resist odium hmm. okay i, I, I don't think i've heard that theory well. before that is interesting yeah, i just i took that and ran with it while i was writing my notes today mm. um as soon as they enter shadesmar adolin has an idling thought that he's pretty certain he can pick out pattern from all the other cryptics just merely at a glance my best guess is that it's due to a burgeoning spiritual connection with Shallan. Yeah, that makes sense. That certainly makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's let's discuss the epigraphs. Okay. In uh in in part two here with the letter. Let's. Oh. Oh <laughs> my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Invention, mercy, whimsy, valor. You know, for the for the longest time, I I was certain there was eventually going to be a shard called Inspiration, and though I kept hearing Ingenuity was what a lot of other people thought it was. I didn't like the idea of Ingenuity, um, but damn, Invention is about as close as we're gonna get, isn't it? You know, I just yep. I 
I can't believe I, I'm having a hard time believing this though. It's very clearly all these names are very clearly used in the context of naming other shards. Oh yeah, no, but 100%. I, <laughs> I have to admit I don't like the names of a couple of them. First off, Valor, it's a little too close it's to honor in my opinion. Mm. Um I I mean I I just I understand the distinction. One is more courage. Yeah. But don't even get me started on the shard named Whimsy. See, uh, I like that. Might as well be I named like Rosebud or Sprinkles. You know, like what is? Go ahead. I I cannot wait to see what the world that Whimsy uh, invested is like. If it is indeed invested in a world, it may be the shard that is often you know uh, <laughs> not uh, you know like hiding in space. Uh, however, I will say, I almost almost guarantee invention is in Silverlight. Woo! <gasps> I like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, 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 okay. It would fit, wouldn't it? A university, a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a conglomeration of scholars. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. I, I am <clears throat> I am morally convinced that Invention is in Silverlight. The the moment <laughs> I I read that name, um, and I will I will no I won't say that actually. Um, that's that's NDA things. Um. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, the the moment I read it, I was like, "This this shard is totally in silver light." I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, mm. The most interesting shard revealed here, though, to me, is uh, Mercy. Yep. That there was a third shard involved in the clash uh, between Odium and Ambition, and from from the implications here, Mercy was not on the side of Ambition. Yeah, Mercy's a little sus. Yeah, I'm to keep using that term. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's that been playing of... Among Us. <laughs> oh my god. I've probably played six hours in the past three days. Mm. A couple hours a day, but yeah. Oh yeah. Um, have you, just out of curiosity, have you, you haven't played, I assume? I have not. not. You're not like a... Uh, it's Mm-mm. kind of entertaining. Um, I can't stop using that word, though. I, as you pointed out, we are millennials. I'm, I'm prone to this kind of behavior. Hey, I mean, the memes are great. Like a, <laughs> it's going to be like a piece of popcorn stuck in my teeth for the next few weeks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we learned that Mercy was present during the Battle of Odium and Ambition, and that Mercy was apparently helping Odium. And there's all... There's, I mean, consider how much speculation there already is that Autonomy is helping Odium <laughs> already, you know? Yikes! We have another player on the board here, Mercy. I'm just like, oh, God. That sounds so intimidating, too, Mercy. Yeah, just there look. there's some real creepy connotations with Mercy. I mean, you just think back to the end of... Way of Kings, and what Teravangian is doing, oh, and how he might see certain things as a mercy. Hmm. And going really quickly, going back to Whimsy though, and talking about what that planet would look like, I had a really stupid thought while you said that. I figured Whimsy, if Whimsy was invested on a planet of its own, would look something like. Willy Wonka's chocolate factory with just chocolate <laughs> fountains and edible flowers everywhere. I why am I? I don't know why I'm so I'm I'm spiraling around this this name whimsy. I just hate the name, you know. I like it. Might as well called donut. I just <laughs> eh. I like uh, it anyway. But uh, I wanna I wanna just talk <laughs> about the fact that Brandon just went ahead and dropped yep. four more shards on us, dude. Dude, I I I almost couldn't even. When I, I was, just, I thought I was, I was hallucinating. I thought that I must be. Sh- surely I am, I am misreading this. He's not dropping this many shards this quickly. 
so blasé. Be I mean, it was so many so quickly that I was excited to go into the next chapter and say, oh, is there going to be a couple more? Is there going to be three more? Like, I, I, I didn't know what to expect in the middle of this. Yeah, the... And the way he did it, where it's... He drops one. He drops one name in, in an epigraph. And you're like, oh, we got a new shard. And then the next chapter, boom, 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 three more. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, just wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. And and I mean, this oh. goes back to what I was talking about last week. You know, like this, this isn't the epigraphs. Obviously, have always been the epigraphs. They've always been very Cosmere aware, and and uh, you don't necessarily need to understand them to understand what's going on in the main plotline of the Stormlight Archive. However, these are pretty overtly now tying into... Because we know who and what Odium is now. You know, we know about Honor. We know about Cultivation. We know about Odium. And even if you haven't read any of the other Cosmere books, you know that there are these entities, these gods, essentially. And... The just just the the knowledge bombs that Brandon is dropping here are an indication yeah. of how he he recognizes rhythm of war is a new step in in the crossover game and and so mm, it, it's not it's not like you absolutely have to have read all these other things but my goodness. Should you read all these other things before you read Rhythm of the, War? Yeah, <laughs> like the proportional amount of the entire experience that you are missing is going up more and more as this series progresses. You, I, I still think that, of course, you can read through the whole thing and get a, you know, I, I don't even think you would agree, disagree with this. So you can get um, a pretty clear picture of what's going on and have a satisfying, you know, conclusion to the story if you don't read the other Cosmere works. But you're also absolutely right in that again, proportionally, the amount that you're missing going on is is increasing and so you you're all the reasons are there to really just read this this entire cosmere responsibly read it in publishing <laughs> order or in any sensible order don't i can't um, i can't it, how, what would you say to somebody who has just read stormlight how would you be able to articulate to them just what it is they're missing like you it's, it's it, i struggle with thinking of that it's it is hard yeah. And and like you said, you know, you can you can read these books and have a pretty okay understanding of like, all right, I I get what's going on here. But then, especially when you hit Oathbringer and now Words of Radiance or Words of Radiance, I'm gonna do that so often because of the freaking initials. I, I, dude, I did it twice doing. today. Um, uh, Rhythm of War. The number of things you're reading along and you're just like, I have no clue what this is why this is here, this is adding nothing to the story. Like, I mean, in Way of Kings, it just started with, oh, like, some of these interludes don't really make sense. Some of these epigraphs don't make sense. And then Words of Radiance, huh, what it's is like, this sword? Yeah. you know, some of these epigraphs don't make sense. Why, what is up with this Zahel dude? And then at the end, oh, like, what, this is, this is a interesting looking shard blade, I guess. And then Oathbringer, you get, you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, why is there so much focus given to this Azure chick when she just disappears? Like, what? why? Why? And then once again, what is going on with some of these epigraphs? 
you know, and then in Rhythm of yeah. War here... The epigraphs don't make sense as you finish them. Even in part one, there were multiple things that are just like, okay, if you haven't read any of the other books, you're super confused. All of chapter 15. All of chapter 15. You're like, why does this feel so important when it makes no sense? You know? Uh, and and now we're in part two, and, and we have more epigraphs like this that are even more explicit in naming things. And you're just like, I, I don't... Are these like Honor, Cultivation, and Odium? It sounds like they are. Well, then why aren't they here? Why aren't they part of the story? Why are they just in this letter that's being written? You know? And, uh... It's it, it just... It, you can understand the Stormlight Archive, but it is an incomplete story without the rest of the Cosmere. And I'm yep, going to harp agreed. on this point going forward. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure every Stormlight Archive episode we do from now until the end of the series, un, until and unless Brandon publicly changes his stance and says, you know what, no, you really need to read Warbreaker and Mistborn and Elantris and White Sand. and You, know, you need to read all that stuff before Stormlight. Like, Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, okay, so, steering on. Uh, conjecture in ELA's notes that Shallan retrieved, where Ile is talking about Thydekar and thinking that he might not only be a world hopper, he might actually be an off-worlder. And damn it, I wrote it down again, that's super sus. It's <laughs> the third time I had it in my notes here. Um, that we, we still haven't met Thydekar yet. None of our point of view characters have, at least during their points of view. You know, no, I, I mean, still completely aloof. The only leader of one of these secret, many, many secret organizations running around Roshar, the only leader for one of them we've met is Teravangian. We haven't met Thydekar, we haven't met Rastaris. Right. You know, we don't, we don't know who was leading the Envisagers. You know, it's, uh... Yup, yup, yup. It's it's crazy. I, I I love the idea that Thydekar might actually have come from Offworld, been born on a different world, and came to Roshar already aware, and rose to power as an Alethi High Prince because he chose that position and he manipulated this world in ways that only a, a world hopper would have the context for. And I'm also yeah, I'm really really suspicious. I'm really I'm I want to see Rastaris. I want to see High what Prince. these men are like. What did I say? Sorry. You said he rose to powers on a Lethe High Prince? Where did Thadikar's you get that? a High Prince, isn't he? No. What are you talking about? He's one of the high... Is he not? No. Have I gone these past ten years thinking that Thadikar was a High Prince and I was incorrect? Yeah. Thadikar is... Oh my god. There's Thanadol is a High Prince. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, it was when... It, you know what it was? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was thinking of, of uh, Thanadol, and I've had my wires crossed on those two for a while. And the reason for that is because of Gavilar's dying words. Tell Thydekar, so-and-so, that he's failed, or whatever it was that he had the message he had given to Zeth for Thydekar, and Zeth was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I thought he was sending a message to another one of the High Princes. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> okay. Wow! I have been having my wires crossed on two okay, names yeah. for ten years now. Well, I, you had I'm finding me guessing. finding it out live on part two of Rhythm of War. <laughs> yeah, you had me second-guessing myself for a second where I was like, wait, did I miss some clue about the ghost bloods? Like... <laughs> But, uh, Damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Ooh, I'm going to cringe when I start hearing myself explain that one when I'm listening to the pre later. All right. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, this is kind of just a stupid little uh, aesthetic point. But I, for- I forgot to mention last episode how much I love this picture, this idea of Syl discovering that she could make her eyes bigger for emphasis. Oh, now, yeah. <laughs> I-, I even wrote down, I wrote, LOL, Syl is going full anime yep. at this point. That is adorable. And then halfway through this part... You know, there was a moment when, where Syl was being extra perky. It was when Kaladin and Teft, I believe, were on their way to the, the Devotary of Mercy. And she's being really quirky, and she's being really quippy. And I realized, at that moment, I went, oh, this is this morning. I went, oh, damn, I forgot last night to mention this adorable eye-popping that she started. So I put my phone down. Well, I didn't put my phone down. I actually closed the PDF. I opened the, uh, the note-taking app that I use, and I stopped to write a note. And I wrote, I actually picture something a little more 3D and goofy. Like, her eyes kind of just like... Popping into size, and maybe not even quite matching in size. Just exaggerated and hilarious to consider. Why do I laugh so? Why do I enjoy so much when I see this? And then literally as I closed the note-taking app, and I opened the PDF, the next line that I was about to read, it just picked up here, was... She gave an exaggerated eye roll, and he swore she made her eyes bigger for emphasis. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no way. There's no freaking way that that literally happened as I was writing about it. No, yeah. What are the odds of that? Yeah, yeah. And then I stopped to consider if it was particularly funny or adorable little quips that Syl was employing here that made me remember the eye-popping. Maybe it also reminded Brandon of it while he was writing this moment, and maybe that's why he inserted it again. Maybe it's not as much of a coincidence as I thought it was. But, oh, it was a little spooky to me in that moment. Yeah. And I'm still... Can you imagine how like how much fun Danny, our artist, would have with this? I can't wait to see these. Once she reads this, she's gonna want to sketch this. Oh, for I sure. I think she is. For sure. Man, and I can't. So. I can't wait to see what she does for the thumbnails for these episodes. Oh man. Oh, I'm gonna start thinking of ideas. I didn't even start thinking of ideas yet. Oh, we're, we're gonna I'm have. Gonna keep we're gonna have a hard time though because we're gonna need these thumbnails before the book comes out. And ooh. <laughs> oh well, I guess maybe we'll just have to do like at least one of them from well, no. part one because she's read the preview chapters, I think. So right, because day one is going to be the spoiler free, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and then we're going to have Rhythm of War week by week by week. After that, there's going to be Correct. plenty of time for her to. Yeah. 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 Um, something I noticed in chapter thirty gave me pause. <clears throat> I just think I'm misunderstanding something here, so maybe you can help me with this, Drew. Uh, for a long time, it's been stated pretty clearly in the Cosmere, and I think it's also been stated overtly from words of Brandon that th- of the three realms, the physical, the cognitive, and the spiritual, none of these are where human souls end up. Right? You're thinking of the line about how they, like, return to deity or whatever? Yes, because Adolin is having a conversation with Notam, the high spren, mm-hmm. and he Notam says... Word for word, I wrote it down. Men die. Their souls travel to the spiritual realm to meld with deity. So what am I misunderstanding here? So uh, I think what... I don't know if it's necessarily a misunderstanding. There are a couple of potential um, solutions to this to this conundrum here. One mm-hmm. is that Notum just doesn't understand. Yeah, okay. Um, the other is that it could very well be that... So we know that souls, on some level, are made of investiture. Yeah. Each person has some, you know, investiture in them. 
but there may be another aspect of the soul that goes to the beyond, and then the investiture from the soul just gets cycled back into the infinite investiture pool in the, the spiritual realm. But that would make the spiritual the same as the beyond, would it not? No. Because the investiture, read their own? the investiture comes out of the soul, but the investiture doesn't retain any identity or anything like that. It just goes into the pool of investiture. The identity of the person goes to the beyond. Ah, okay. I, okay, okay, perhaps. Um, for those who want to read it themselves, at least in the PDF, I'm fairly certain this will, this will match the book. It's on uh, page yes, 412. It it's near the bottom. Yeah. Uh, the, you want to read that one the, for yourself. What you're reading is the hardcover the the pages that yeah, will be it's the printed PDF in the of the hardcover. hardcover yeah. yeah, it's just my first one, you know, having. So I just want to make sure that I'm not uh, telling people incorrect information. <laughs> I'll be walking on eggshells when I talk about it. Uh, chapter forty three. <clears throat> Pardon me, not forty three. It's chapter thirty three. Uh, Calvin's point of view as he's really starting to get momentum in helping the mentally damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have the quote here. He still didn't know how his father balanced work and emotion. Liren genuinely seemed to care for his patients, but he could also turn it off. Stop thinking about the ones he couldn't help, such as the dozens of people trapped in the darkness of the sanitarium, locked away from the sun, moaning to themselves, or, in one severe case, writing gibberish all over her cells using her own feces. Yep. Sorry, all over her room using her own feces. Yep. I like to take another of my infamous moments to gloat i have been talking about this strange woman since march of 2014 it's been six and a half years now i've been bringing up this strange woman seen in one of the cells when shallan investigates the supposed herald to Linalat and spies during the visit from amaram and here we go the strange woman is mentioned again I, there has to be a reason Remember that this woman was, at the time when we first saw her, or at least when Pattern first saw her, she was supposedly writing patterns in her own feces. Patterns that intrigued a cryptic enough for him to want to go and investigate. I don't know if I'm still thinking she's an insane herald, that's what I've been postulating for the past few years, but there's something off well, something off about her more than you would think already. I, I'm super, super interested in... in what the hell is going on with this woman? Yeah, uh, there is a minuscule chance that she is mentioned here by coincidence. It you could yeah. you could make an argument that she was mentioned in uh, words of radiance as just flavor, you know, background. <laughs> is that really the word you want to use? Here? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and the moment she showed up again, no, 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 something's going on. I've I've, I've been talk. I've I've hundred times I have posted and argued with people about this woman, and then to see her described in an idle comment once again here in in I almost said words of radiance. I'm going to be doing it too in rhythm of war. <laughs> Vindication. It felt like. Yeah. Um. You've been talking about this guy previously, but we get teased a little more on the subject of felt. Adeline, oh, I'm yeah. this time, in chapter 35, has an idling thought about Felt being good at traveling unknown places or something yeah, along to, those lines. New lands, unexplored lands, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And he also blatantly curses at one point with rusts. Yep. As it, it's the scene where, where uh, Adeline is, is wordlessly summoning Gallant 
you know. Uh, by the by the way, what's going on with that? Is Aiden is he like special? Like, I suppose you have more context for the book, so you might have to raffle me on this. But it's almost like he's actually you're going to have to raffle me because if you say that you don't know, I know we don't find out in this book. It's almost like he's in a way more than a radiant. Like he's he's healing a broken bond with or at least Maya's broken bond somehow, and now bonding Gallant. You know, in a weird way, could he be another, and I wrote this down, another potential Bondsmith as ridiculous of a coincidence as that would be? So this is where you raff on me, I'm just going to say. Yep, yep. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, you are unusually quiet on that one. Okay, alright. I have two more. I have two more. Okay. Ralkalest. Yes. Ralkalest is back. Interesting to see it on Roshar. The term for aluminum, I'm sure it's aluminum, right? It in is. the Rose Empire? Yep. Yep. How interesting that at one point we also hear Raboniel cursed by the name of Edo. Yes. It's during the invasion, the invasion, listen to me, the invasion of Yurithiru. She tells Venli and carry a knife for Edo's sake. Mm-hmm. Putting aside that is clearly the root also for the word Edonalsium. Edo also sounds suspiciously like an Aeon. Hmm. But doesn't it? I would have to go back to the Ars Arcanum in uh, Elantris. I don't know and, if it is one. See if but there's it re- an has Aeon, the ring of one. Aeon Edo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be surprised if there was an Aeon Edo. Edo. I would. I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be. But it just the way Edo. It sounds like an like an Aeon. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my last my last point here is something I picked up on. Sill is sleepy when the tower's defenses are corrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I chalked up Pattern's apparent sleepiness during that one scene in Words of Radiance. I just chalked it up to a quirk of description. But now I remember you bringing that up during Words of Radiance. And I'm suspicious. There is something going on here. Something to make Spren sleepy. Or, or kind of... Uh, well, clearly, a little bit. in this instance, their bond is being damaged. Or at least muted by yeah. the, the inverted in defenses of Urethiru. Yeah. But I'm like I'm 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 still confused about that because isn't it ju- like I thought it was literally just the surges that are being blocked by whatever. Well, uh, clearly their bond is the... being affected. She can't go as far yeah, from I... Kaladin anymore. You know. Right. He can't summon her there. as. Why is she still there at all? He well. Well, oh, oh, also, I forgot to mention this prediction here. I think I know... Oh, wait, no, sorry. That is during the... That's the one prediction I have left. My bad. I think you're about to talk about this. Kaladin. Mm-hmm. The reason Kaladin is still conscious, and he didn't collapse with the rest of the Radiance at Yurithiru, I'm assuming, is because he's just farther along in his ideals. I mean, he's spoken the third ideal, and I th- I'm pretty sure Teft has only spoken the second. No. We saw him speak, uh, speak the second at the end of... No, he spoke the third mm-hmm. as well, didn't he, at the end of Oathbringer? Many of the Radiants have spoken the third ideal. Third ideal is when you get your sharp blade. Oh, damn. There goes a wrench into my... Sp- uh, damn. Okay. Yeah, I, I just... I, I picked... I remembered uh, Teft <clears throat> rising in glory on, on the the, uh, the Battle of Thalen Field there at the Oathgate, and I saw, just after he had spoken you know, the ideal, I will... Protect even those I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. For some reason, I thought that was the second, but no, the second still would have been. I can, I will protect those who cannot protect themselves. Yep. Yeah. yeah okay. It, never no, mind. I mean, Don't. you were. I, I. I think it's it's pretty clear. We have enough information up to this point to say, like you, you know, you're right on 
that Kaladin is further along, and that's why he's still around. But it's like he's just closer to his fourth ideal. I mean, they talk about the the um, the Council of Fused, you know, talk about the trial run of their Fabriel and and the pursuers like, well, he must have been the fourth ideal because you know, blah blah blah, and 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 obviously this thing, a good point. this technology doesn't really work once you're the fourth ideal, and Kaladin is clearly as of the end of Oathbringer oh. close to swearing the fourth ideal so he isn't affected as much as others are and Teft apparently is also he's not as far along as Kaladin but by implication we can guess he is closer to his fourth ideal than some others are because he's yeah, I mean, not the others are completely comatose yeah he's yeah. he's like you know his eyes are moving he's he's like struggling to wake up kind of thing mm. So, yeah, and I'll also say that I'm fairly certain that if Yasna were to show up, <clears throat> she wouldn't really be affected very much at all, or even perhaps no Dalinar still would be, I imagine. But Yasna, I think, would have no problem. I don't know how much Dalinar would be affected, to be honest. Like, right, if, he's if only he third, were there, his third, right? Yeah, he's only on his third, but he's also a bondsmith. <laughs> right, there's something funky about bondsmiths. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even with the sibling, as soon as the sibling was. <clears throat> given the the potential or sorry the necessary investiture to do what it needs to do and there's that that line thank you malishi i hated you for your mm-hmm. whatever it was or i hated you at one point but you 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 were right and i was like malishi that's the bondsmith mm-hmm. that was in the tower last okay there's something about the bondsmith well, and, and the, connection the fact to the tower. that kaladin's um adhesion surge is still <coughs> usable when adhesion mm-hmm. is like big deal thing for Dalinar where he can do crazy things with adhesion. Like clearly it's a bondsmith thing, you know? Mm. And so I, I would yeah. I would guess that had Dalinar been in the Spiritual tower at, at the moment that this whole went this whole thing went down and uh he would not have been knocked <clears throat> unconscious even though it's he's necessary only to the get Yas Knight and Dalinar out of there before they did this, I think, yeah. But yeah, that's um, that's everything I have to discuss today for Words of Rage. Oh my god, for Rhythm of War, part two. <laughs> and I'm pretty stoked to uh, finish this up so I can start part three. Yeah, yeah. Um, shall we head into the final draft Anything then? else you want to... Sure, yeah. I um, brought something a little more interesting today. I only had one sip of it, because that's all we had left at the moment. Um, but I brought a tequila on today. Oh. I'm just drinking a standard Jose Cuervo. This is uh, Blue Agave, mm, gold tequila. I imagine this is pretty standard as far as tequilas go. I'm not a huge tequila fan. This has been sitting around for two months at least. This little, uh, yeah. what is it, 250 milliliters? 375 milliliter bottle. But, I mean, yeah, it's all right. I just kind of had the last shot straight, and I chased it with some water. I, d- I, didn't, I don't find myself as physically sick from the smell or taste of tequila as I was in my teens, so oh, perhaps this is something that's going to be growing on me going forward. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, but yeah, this is Jose Cuervo. It's pretty standard. Okay. Well, I am drinking a beer from Russian River Brewing Company in California. <clears throat> this is a, a mm. classic, uh, you know, what we call an old money beer. Um, a what beer? Old money Old money. Yeah, okay, I thought you said old man. Russian River gotcha, gotcha. is is one of the the earliest craft breweries to get big, uh, uh, and they are along with New Belgium and you know maybe like um, one or two others, but really principally New Belgium and Russian River 
pioneered sour beers in America. And uh, and this is a, a sour beer. It's an ale aged in Pinot Noir barrels with cherries. <laughs> wow. It is 7.75% alcohol by volume. It is okay. one of my favorite sour beers, period. It's just wonderful. You can age this beer for... For a long time, I mean, it's it is quite tart. It's very woody. You get a lot of that oak through it, and you get a lot of the cherry. Just just super delicious. But what this beer is is called is the tactic Adeline ended up going with. He he went through you know multiple strategies. He's like you know, uh, do I go with threats? Do I go with negotiation? How do I approach negotiation? <clears throat> No, no. He ended up going with supplication. Supplication. I thought you were about to discuss what he did with the uh, uh, the men who were who were stabbing uh, Notum. You're talking about what he did at Lasting Integrity when he met the Honor Spren. Yes. Got you. Got you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Supplication. That's a good note to end. That's what we're, exactly where we ended on. So I can see why you'd want to bring that. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. So, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion for Rhythm of War Part 2. Mm-hmm. This has been episode 94 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Ooh. Next up, you guessed it, we're heading right on into Part 3 of Rhythm of War. We'll, we'll cover the second set of interludes and then do all of Part 3. As always, check us out on Patreon if you want to support the podcast uh, or get early access to uh, next week's episode or you know just access to any of the large amount of bonus content we have <laughs> on there. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me, my co-host, Rob Santos. I forgot to bring up the Tukari. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll get to that later. We'll, we'll get to that, <laughs> yep. Um... Yeah, so thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>